and the children are dismissed. I am of the conviction that Jesus has a unique truth for every one of us every day and that there are dark forces at work in the world to distract us from that and to replace that truth with a lie. Did you get that? Did you get that? Do you believe that's true? There are, there, God loves you so much that he's got a truth for you every day and it's just for you. And it's from his word. And it's true and it's what you need. And it gives you life. But there are dark forces at work in the world that are indescribably ugly that are at work to craft like a custom-made lie so that you won't have the life that will come from the truth that God has for you. I'm of the conviction that that's true. Last winter, I read a book. The author suggested five lies even Christians are tempted to believe. And they are, I am what I have. I am what I have. That's a lie Christians are tempted to believe. Or another lie, I am what I do. Or a third lie, I am what other people think of me. Or a fourth lie, I'm nothing more than my worst moment. Or the fifth lie he said was, I'm nothing less than my best moment. The truth is, you are who he says you are. Nothing less, nothing more. And in Christ, Christ has offered to make you his loved and adored child. He wants to pour out his mercy on you. He wants you to have his Holy Spirit living in you. He wants to share his inheritance with you forever. Is that just a bunch of Bible-sounding talk? Or do you believe that's true? How does that actually work? How it actually works is God has given us his word and he activates supernaturally his word through his spirit. And this should be like every day, like man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How often do you eat? You're thinking about it right now. <laughs> yeah, and so am I. That's the truth. I believe what we really, really believe comes out under times of crisis or pressure. Dark night of the soul. Somebody just, have you ever noticed you have buttons that people can push? Somebody says just the right thing and all of a sudden you're off the rails. You have something happen to you or something that you wanted to happen doesn't happen or somebody who's significant to you says a certain thing or some desire is not fulfilled or some mistake is made or some shame from the past comes into your mind and then you're awake at night and then there's this thing that, that you hear in your head and it might even sound true. It might even have some truth in it. It might even come wrapped in a Bible verse. But it's a lie and, and I believe that that thing that I'm talking about right there, that's a matter of life and death. This determines whether you really enter into the life that Jesus promised to you or whether there's something worse happens, something darker, like we see all around us in our country every day, very dark things. And who's behind that? And what's behind that? 
this month, above all, we've been teaching from Scripture how vital it is that what lies at the bottom of your soul is the truth of God. And we showed you this uh, is a life and death matter. And I've shown you many, many, many places in the Bible so that you'd be moved to the conviction that you should meditate on God's truth day and night. In other words, I'm driving at all the month of May, and I've had some helpers here, we've worked together, so that you would see, I want to be the kind of person that gets up in the morning and embeds thoughts in my mind from God. Believing that God in his providence is giving me just the truth I need for today. I want to be the kind of person that goes to bed at night with thoughts, of, with, with biblical truth in my brain, thinking biblical thoughts. And I want to be the kind of person that all day, kind of like, all day I tumble those truths over my mind. This is what the Bible frequently refers to as meditating on the law of God day and night. And it says that throughout the Bible, doesn't it? I've proven that over the month of May. We've spent the month of May, invested the month of May in making that really clear from the Bible. One word for that, remember what we said? It's repentance. Repentance is changing the way you think. So we need to repent every day. Change the way we think. Replace lies with truth. To remind you of some passages like 1 Timothy 2, 23 through 26 gives direction to the Lord's servant. It says that the Lord's servant must, mustn't be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. And able to teach and patiently enduring evil and correcting opponents with gentleness. Listen to this phrase. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. God may grant them the gift of changing their mind, changing the way they think, taking out the lie, putting in the truth, recognizing a lie, and having a truth kind of light up your soul. Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the New Living says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So this is review. Remove me from the way of lying because I have chosen the way of truth, Scriptures say. And then you're familiar with this, right? Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, just... Those aren't just so many words that religious people say. This is practical, a practical way for you to experience life transformation, to be the person that you want to be, and, and more than anything, to have the joy that God wants you to have is that you change the way you think. By really saturating your heart and mind in the truth of God and by recognizing lies and replacing them with truth. And we gave examples of that, and we'll give more. Uh, you should have your kind of working capital, your, your if you will, your, your, uh, your cupboard stocked with, with these truths. You should be able to open up and go, oh yeah, there's Psalm 19. That's a beautiful psalm. That will remind me of this. I go outside, I see how beautiful it is, and then the law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple, etc. The, the Bible's like honey to me. It's like a treasure to me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Psalm, you should go to the cupboard and get out Psalm 19. You should go to the cupboard and get out Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who meditates day and night like the tree planted by the rivers of water. You should go to your cupboard and get out Psalm 112. Uh, praise the Lord. 
Blessed is the one who fears the Lord and who greatly delights in his commandments. His seed will be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Matthew, that's the deal right there. That's the man you want to be, right? I know that's true about you. It's true about me. That's the man I want to be. God help me. I'm not that guy. Jesus is that guy. But I want to be like him and he'll help me. And that ought to be our desire. And that, that should be in our cupboard. <laughs> we go and we say, look, I'm hungry. Right? So we, we go, we see throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, it's in poetry, it's in teaching, it's in narrative in the Bible. It's throughout the Bible. And we see this, Isaiah and the prophet. He says, God looks upon the one who trembles at his word. And that's why I am of the conviction, and I hope that you are of the conviction that Jesus says a specific truth for you every day. And you get up in the morning and you desire, let's get the truth in my brain. And let's keep it there all day and let's go to bed at night with God's truth on my mind. And when trouble comes, a dark night of the soul, question comes up in my mind over and over that goes way back to maybe some painful incident in my past or betrayal or mistake that I made. And then that lie comes up in my soul. And it's such a powerful lie. It's so, it's so tempting to believe. It's so easy to believe. Then, no, I will find God's truth and replace that. Okay, so that, that's what it would look like for a person to live victoriously. And today I want to point out that it's, that's the way to genuine joy, but we'll get there. I've mentioned this before, I'm reviewing. Christ wants you to have life, and the way he does it was, is with truth. He wants you to have abundant life. And, and he says, the truth sets you free. And it's in that context in the Gospel of John that, he te that, 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 that John teaches that, that actually he's repeating, he's quoting Jesus teaching that to his disciples, that the way to life is truth. So if the way to life is through Christ, through truth, the way Satan, the Bible says in the same passage in John 8, 44, he's a liar, and he lies so that he can create a culture of death. What we have in America today is a growing culture of death because we have turned away from the way of life. What we have in America today is a culture of death because we have disregarded the truth of God. Because in the deepest part of our soul, we've grown to not believe that God's word should be God's law. Because we've been tempted to believe that there's some other thing that will make us happier or that will give us greater freedom. And in the highest courts of our land, we have denied things that God says are true. And even in the pulpits of our land, we've been silent about things that God says are true. And so in our hearts, we are doubting that what God says is true. And as a result of that, we will not have life, and we will not have vitality, and we will not have the joy that God wants. We have a culture of death. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the Bible says would happen. And if we think it's bad now in this fallen sin, cursed earth, wait until we see eternity where God has said there will be those who live in eternal conscious bliss with God or eternal conscious torment away from the presence of God. And the one who taught that most was our Savior, the Lord Jesus himself. This is what we're saying. This is a life and death, heaven and hell thing. For us to get into our minds, let us be people who, who love God's word, follow in the path of those who have followed in the path of God's word, and you will see the outcome of their life. And then just watch the path of those who have written their own Bibles, have made their own law, have disregarded what Jesus said, and don't love the law of God. They don't have life, and they don't have joy. They have something, they're always trying to stir up something that seems like life, that seems happy, they're trying to create a party. And the very, very thing that they are trying to do 
in order to bring some joy to themselves, taking them off the path of truth. And so it's Christ and daily truth leads to life, and it's Satan and daily lies that lead to death. Satan and his dominion, if you will. Though he's not as powerful as God, he's not omniscient, not omnipresent, uh, he's not uh, omnipotent, but he is very powerful, Satan, and he does have a system, a well-organized system, and he is experienced, and he has millions of demons, and there is, a, the, wor- there is the whole dark mess of the world and the flesh of the, dev- the devil at work, and if you don't believe it, then it's working on you because you're in darkness, and the God of this world, according to like 2 Corinthians 4, 4, has blinded your mind. But if you look on Jesus, the Bible says, if we gaze on him and see him for who he says he is, then you, you'll be enlightened and you'll see the world the way it is, the way God wants you to see it, and joy will flood into your life. That's what I want to say today and show you. I mentioned I was on May 8th. Some of the things that happen when you meditate on God's word from Psalm 1, we said you'll have true success and prosperity. From Psalm uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we we mentioned, we showed, you'll, you'll be transformed, changed by meditating on God's Word. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, we, we pointed out that that was a critical matter in spiritual warfare, in warfare against light and darkness in your own life. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers. That's what the Scriptures say. And we take every captive, every thought captive, so that we'll be obedient to Christ. So what, what do we have when we meditate on Scripture? Lots of things. We have true success and prosperity. We have, an op- we have the hope that we can be transformed. We are able to defeat our spiritual enemies. We experience fullness of life all through Romans 8 this afternoon. Take a minute, go on the porch, read Romans 8 or Psalm 119. But, it, but in Romans 8, you have this, we, those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit and those who set their mind on the things of the flesh. And the Scriptures are saying there in Romans 8 that those who set their mind on the things of the Spirit have they experience life the way God intended for them to experience life. And those who set their mind on the things of the, their mind, get it? They think about, think on the things of the Spirit, from the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit will guide you into the Word. And when you think on that, those things and believe those things and act on those things, then you have life. That's Romans 8. But to set the mind on the, on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind side of the flesh is hostile God cannot submit to God's law. We also said you'll enjoy a foretaste of heaven, so you have success, prosperity, transformation, defeat your spiritual enemies, fullness of life, foretaste of heaven. I want to tell you another thing today, a sixth thing. Today I want to add this. Meditation on God's Word will bring you deep joy. And that's, this, that's the message right there today. This, that met, all that was to set up, set up this and remind you what we were talking about. Today I just want you to go home with this truth and on this holiday weekend, beating your heart, and that is to meditate on God's truth is the, is the straight path to joy in God. And I want to show you this in a very wonderful way. I want to show it to you by having you look on the longest chapter in the Bible. It would take 17 minutes to read it unless I was reading it, in which case it would take about 10. But, um, but normal people, it would take 17 minutes to read. If you take your favorite Bible and you go out on the porch, and you just spend some time in Psalm 119, 
here are some of the things that you'll discover. You probably recognize that it's a, that's a Hebrew poetry. It's an acrostic. It's a, each section is based on one of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet, which means a couple of things. It's beautiful. It's poetry. It's meant to be remembered, and it's orderly. It's God's word about God's word. Almost every one of the 176 verses in Psalm 119 mentions God's word. After the third verse of Psalm 119, it's all a direct bit of praise to God. Everything in it is spoken directly to God. It's a little bit like uh, Augustine's Confessions, which are one, the whole book is one long prayer of confession to God. And Psalm 119 is one long paean of praise to God, especially for the power of his word. And a person could take Psalm 119 and they could trace it for a theme you could go through Psalm 119 and you can watch for the theme, how do I defeat sin through God's word according to Psalm 119? And you could go through that with a highlighter, maybe print out a copy and then take a highlighter and highlight all the places where it talks about how to defeat sin, you know, how can a young man cleanse his way, taking heed, you know, and such. Um, or you could say, how do I deal with affliction? It was good for me that I was afflicted so that I can learn your statutes. And you, would, you could see all the verses of the 176 verses in Psalm 119 that talk about how a person could deal with affliction using God's word. You could, you could also study it and you could find there are eight or ten different ways the Bible is referred to in almost every verse. It refers to the Bible, but it uses different words like words, statutes, ordinances, precepts, ways. But it's all about the Word. In other words, if you did that and you were open to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, I think what you would do is tomorrow morning you would get up and you'd get your Bible out. And you would go, first, I want to hear from God because, frankly, I like being happy. I want joy. And this is not just a religious duty that God's going to thump me if I don't do. This is a way to joy. And that is one of the things that you could do with Psalm 119, and I have done that, and I want to show it to you. I want to show you joy and delight in the Word in Psalm 119. And here's why we're going to do this, because there's a lie that I am tempted to believe. Personally, this is a, this is a little testimonial part. When I preach, I testify. Did you notice that? Yeah. And you may do this too. And join me with your testimony. Uh, and that is, I sometimes think I can make Ken happier than God can make Ken. How many of you think that's true? Well, it's true that I think that. But how many of you think, well, Ken knows what makes Ken happy better than God knows what makes Ken happy? Isn't that interesting? You'd think, Ken, you seem smarter than that. I know that's what you were thinking. But actually, no, that actually works on me a lot. I'm like, I know God, but I... God says, this will give you pleasure. I'm like, Ken, a reasonable piece of chocolate cake with some coffee is enough to make you happy. You won't regret it. Just eat that one little piece, you know, that medium piece, and then have the coffee and then stop right there. And you won't feel guilt, shame, remorse, regret. <laughs> and then a half a cake later, I'm like, why did I think? Why did I think I was smarter than God? And the doctor's going, your mother told you when you were cutting, you're supposed to eat spinach. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, take the pills. You didn't eat enough spinach. Um, I'm only joking because it's so painful. 
But what does God say? I, I can, can, can. You know, I love you, I love you, I adore you. I gave my son Jesus to die for you. I wrote the word for you. I want you to open it up on a summer morning, and I want you to look and see the weight of joy that's right here in front of you. And so let's look at this. I, I did this. You can do it with me. So let's look at Psalm 119 in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 119, we're going to move. Verse 14, the way, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Psalm 119, I'll just say the verse number. Instead of saying 119, all the verses are from Psalm 119. 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as in all riches. What's the Bible saying? That there's delight in the Bible more than if you had a big inheritance. Now you know why people believe the lie. Okay, God, I, I think I can make myself happier than you. Because if you're planning on me being happy without money, I have a different plan. <laughs> My plan is a money plan. <laughs> anyway, there's that. Verse uh, 16, I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Whoever wrote this, some people think it might have been Daniel. That's where we're headed next in Daniel. And we're going to teach the book of Daniel, but maybe not. But it could have been. could have been David, Daniel, Ezekiel. A godly person said, I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. 16. 24. Your statutes are my, there's the word again, delight and my counselors. I need counsel. Oh, open your Bible. And there will be what in that? There'll be joy, delight. Delight is the word. It's interesting that over and over you're going to notice that what I'm cherry picking here is the word delight or joy that there's the promise of delight attached to the Bible over and over again in Psalm 119. Your testimonies are, verse 24, my delight and counselors. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me. According to your word, when I feel sorrow, some through great sorrow, but God gives a song. When sorrow comes, what do I do? Open up my Bible and delight in my delight will return. Psalm 119, 35, lead me in the path of your commandments. I delight in it. Look at 47, I find delight in your commandments, which I love. It almost seems odd in our culture, people don't often connect commandments with love. Like, oh, I love the rules. I just love God's rules. I love them. We don't, we don't normally talk like that. I'm like, oh, oh commandments, law. Eh, you know. that, over and over in the Bible, the law is a locus of delight to a godly woman or a godly man. I often do this, you know, young people, thanks for being here and listening, and I, we love you. We know you're starting out in your life, you're just getting going, some of you just graduating, and, and so if you let us speak directly to you, you know, what, what a wonderful thing it'd be to be a kid, a young person again. I know you're probably afraid of what you're going to face, but whatever you do, face, face it with the Bible under your arm, you know, get up in the morning and say, what does God say? And then follow him. He will never take you to a place that doesn't that he will not be with you and strengthen you to find joy in that. Though he may take you to death, it will be a glorious death and eternity with God. This is so beautiful. You, you're, you're, you're not young. You're old. And you're feeling it. And a lot of the things that you had hoped never happened, 
or they didn't happen the way you wanted them to. And, and sometimes that just hurts and confuses you. And I would give you the exact advice. Then get your old, well-worn Bible out and open it up and look at what God says, and there will be sweetness and consolation and hope in your soul. There will jo there'll be joy and delight in your soul, old and young alike. Nobody understands men better than the one who wrote this book. Nobody understands women, cares about women, cherishes women more than the one who created women who wrote this book. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. 35, lead me in the path of commandments. I delight in it. 47, I find delight in your commandments. I love them. 70, their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. Listen, the law isn't bad. Legalism is bad because it's the perversion of the law, not because the law is bad. People who love the Lord love God's law and his commands. The law is not bad because the law is bad or the right use of the law is bad. I'm sorry, legalism isn't bad because the law is bad or because of the right use. It's adding to God's law. It's perverting God's law. It's twisting God's law. It's distorting God's law. It's using God's law wrongly. It's saying you have to be saved through God's law, which the Bible doesn't teach. It's saying that by God's law alone you can be sanctified without the power of the Holy Spirit, which the Bible doesn't teach. Those are legalisms that are damning and dangerous and confusing and bad. But the law isn't bad. The law is good. God's law is good. Thank God that we have been given his law. It's like I want to explore the mountain range. Let's say that I'm young and strong and I can hike and I want to explore the mountain range. I want a GPS unit so that I don't get lost. It's not telling me where to go. It's telling me how I can go wherever it is good for me to go. That's the way we should look at the law of God. This is going to help me find my way. This is going to help me stay out of trouble. This is going to help me find, find me my way quickly to what is delightful and good. This is what a kid should say. Oh, then I will, Jim Elliott, I'm reading again the journals and the story of Jim Elliott, the famous missionary. And he wrote a letter to his little sister when she went to high school. This is the sweetest thing. I'll get it. I'll read it to you. Jim Elliott's in college, and, he's, at Wheaton, and he's, he's writing a letter to his little sister, and he's saying to her, you know, he's, he's just, but one of the things he says in the letter is, put the Bible on the top of your books and never stray from what the Bible says when you go off to your high school. Legalism, legalism is bad, but the law is good, and we delight in the law. And license is bad because it's violating God's law. But the Bible says that through the Spirit, we can keep God's law. And only through the Spirit, Romans 8, for instance, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk in the Spirit, who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Through a believer, empowered by the Holy Spirit, then has the power to begin to obey God's law. And therefore, we delight in God's law because it's like, it's like ordering from the menu. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this in the power of the Spirit. I can do this. I can be this. I can do that. God helping me. And you have a bright future. Let your mercy come to me. This is uh, 74. Those who fear you shall see and me and rejoice because I've hoped in your word. 77. Let your mercy come to me that I may live. Your law is my delight. 92. Your laws had, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. How many can say amen to that? If I hadn't had the word, you ever heard a Christian say, I don't know what I would do without him. 
old people and they had cancer or they lost a loved one or they had a series of reversals in their life and then they would look at you and say, I don't know how people do this without the Lord. And they have their, you look over on their shelf, what are you going to find? A well-worn Bible, a tear-stained Bible, a, a known and loved Bible, Oh, how I love your law. I love this one. Uh, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 11. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, the joy of my heart. 162. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Ah, hidden treasure. <laughs> and then 167. My soul keeps your testimonies I love them exceedingly. January 8th, 1956, people know this. Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, fascinating young Plymouth Brethren guys. Um, they, they met together in Ecuador. Jim Elliott married a writer and after he died, he left behind extensive journals and letters. Those guys didn't make it to 30, most of them. Jim Elliott was 28. The group they were trying to reach speared them to death. You know the story. Speared them to death, and they didn't defend themselves. Even though they had weapons, they could have defended themselves. They let, they let themselves die and be killed. And then the story just spread around the world. I've been rereading those stories. They're powerful stories. If you want to be encouraged and help read these stories of faith, the the story of the five young men, the story that follows their life beautifully in a beautiful literary way, it follows each of their lives to to that beach where they died and tells their stories. And it was written by the widow, Jim Elliott's widow, Elizabeth Elliott. Then she wrote another book after that called Shadow of the Almighty. That was called Through Gates of Splendor. The next book, Shadow of the Almighty, unusually powerful book, follows the life and testimony of her, her former husband, Jim Elliott himself, and takes from his letters and journals and shows his faith in God. Powerful, amazing that a guy that never even reached 30 years old had such a profound love for God. These are people we should pay attention to and listen to their stories. He was out preaching one night in southern Illinois along the Mississippi River before, as he's preparing to go over to Ecuador, he was, he was out preaching one night on a, on a January night, and he's driving home, and the sky was clear and beautiful. He said the sky, he wrote about it later in his journal, and he said the sky was beautiful. And so he decided to stop his car and get out and look out over the river. He got out of the car and he looked out over the river and he saw the beauty of it. And later when he drove home, he sat down and he wrote this into his journal. It gives you a little glimpse into his soul, shows you a man who's learned to find joy in God. I walked out on a hill just now. It is exalting, delicious to stand embracing by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart and gaze and glory and give oneself again to the God, give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, the pleasure, 
the sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. There's a guy that wasn't 30 yet saying, oh, the fullness, the pleasure, the sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. That's what happens when a person delights in God's law. They discover a source of joy that other people don't even really understand at all. He said, I care not if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him and please him. Perhaps in mercy he will give me a host of children that I may lead them through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies whose finger ends set them to burning. But if not, only I, if only I may see him and touch his garments, smile in his eyes. Ah, then not stars or children will matter, only him. Later he wrote after, he was actually you know, in Oklahoma and he was watching a football game, which was amazing, and the lead traded back and forth and everyone was cheering and he entered the joy of the game. But then later he began to think about giving glory to men and, he, and then he began to think about the Lord and he wrote this in his journal that night out there in Oklahoma, oh Jesus, master, center, end of all. How long before that glory is thine, which has so long waited for thee, now there is no thought of thee among men, but then there shall be thought for nothing else. Now other men are praised. Then none shall care for any other's merits. Hasten, hasten, glory of heaven. Take thy crown, subdue thy kingdom, enthrall thy creatures to thyself. It was kind of his way of saying, oh, I love your laws, my meditation every day. So my desire for you is that you would learn a heavy lifting of identifying lies that you are acting on, especially in the dark night of your soul. What lies am I believing? Of studying the Bible to discover the truth that centers uh, that, um, that the, 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 the truth that counters the lies in your soul. Of finding different ways to meditate on God's Word day and night, like getting up early, taking a prayer retreat, getting with a friend who understands this, maybe taking, maybe get up first thing in the morning, give time to God there in the Word, or last thing at night, or have a little, throughout the day, just take a little phrase that's important to you that's about a thing that you're dealing with and tumble that over in your mind throughout the day when you're at a stoplight, even in a conversation with other people, and then to tell that truth to other people. And so these four things, identify the lie, study the Bible and replace it with a powerful truth, find different ways to keep that on your mind, and then tell that truth to other people creatively. Tell that truth to other people faithfully. You never know what will happen. I, I, I watched a story this week of a guy who went to a friend, a friend that he knew from high school who was, who was married to another man. And he went to their home with a Bible. And he began to talk to them, and they said, we don't believe that. And there's a man married to a man. Uh, and we don't believe that. He started showing them in the Bible what the Bible says about that. And they argued with him. And they just said, no, we don't believe that. And they argued with him. He laid the Bible down for a minute. He goes, well, let me just, let me get to know you and talk with you. And they said, God, you have to know these men and care about them. God set them free. And one of those men now in the 360 church in Florida has a ministry to others that are, that are same-sex attracted because of the power of, the, of God through his word to set people free from sin. This is the message our world needs to hear. This is the message our world desperately needs. It's the only message of freedom and forgiveness and life that is available to men and women today. It's the only one. That, that's why 
we can't spend, waste our lives meditating on lies, but we must be people of the book who spend, who invest our lives meditating on truth and then not keep that to ourselves, but find somebody else and tell that truth too. This is what the scriptures teach. Nicholas Zinzendorf was, uh, he, he found some godly people, some devout people who've been touched by a reformation a hundred years before the Lutheran Reformation, if you will, the Luther Reformation. And he gave them a place on his, on his uh, property, the wealthy man. And out of that flowed a missionary movement that predated the missionary movements that we normally read about. They literally sent missionaries all over the world. They sent missionaries to slaves. They sent missionaries to leper colonies. They sent missionaries to America. On the ship one day, there were two Anglican brothers. One was named John, one was named Charles. They were with the Moravians that Zinzendorf had inspired to go as missionaries. In the storm, everyone was afraid, but the Moravians were trusting in God. And the two Anglican brothers, John and Charles, were watching and said, what did they have we don't have? And those men, John and Charles, never escaped the influence of the Moravian missionaries that were living their lives on truth. And then they were converted. One of them was a Moravian the rest of his life. The other one actually is known for starting his own group called the Methodist, John and Charles Wesley. And when that small group movement of Jesus-loving, Bible-believing people started spreading in America, the Spirit of God blew on it, and it swept across America like a prairie fire. And every town in America, you see the evidence of that today. Only God knows what will happen when a person begins to take the Bible seriously. Years ago, kind of a while ago, my son Chuck was moving away, and Chuck says to me, Hey, Dad, I'm going to move, but I want you to remember Dennis from work. Dennis doesn't like churchy people. I've told you Dennis's story before. He said, Dennis doesn't like churchy people. And he's kind of rough around the edges, kind of raw. But he's a good guy, and you should stay in touch with him. He has these two little girls. He loves them a lot. And he said, so stay in touch with him. And so one day I was driving down Fort Street, and I thought about what Chuck told me, and I thought, well... I should call Dennis. I called him and we had breakfast. And Chuck was right. He's kind of a sweet guy. I love Dennis, but he's a little rough, <laughs> rough around the edges. He'd probably say he still is. But Dennis told me about his life, told me about some of the things he'd been through, told me about what he believed. He and his family decided to follow the Lord. I got to baptize all of them, even those two little girls. One of them sang today. She's going to come and sing one more time. You pray for her, we'll pray for you, that the truth of God would find a place in our soul that's transformational. And we can find others that need to know the truth too. Devena, come and sing for us again.